Herbert is being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught! Touchdown! Keenan Allen! What a grab! That's what I'm talking about! Hey, that's what I'm talking about! That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy! Huge sack by Joey Bosa! 90-yard touchdown! 90-yard touchdown! That's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James! Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Guyton! Caught! Touchdown, Chargers! That's the greatest yes, throw I've ever seen. Yes, and welcome to the bye week edition of the Thunder Down Under Chargers Football Podcast. Yeehaw! The Chargers charger the trade deadline. Andy, your host here, joined sprightly as always by me good mates Jack and Alistair. Boys, how are we doing this fine yeah, bye week? What's the good word? Oh, not too much. I uh, had a nice weekend. My brother-in-law, sister-in-law and... Uh, Nephew came down, which was lovely, or came across to Adelaide, which was wonderful. Um, but it's a busy weekend and uh, just almost at the end of school. So I can't wait and can't wait to watch some Chargers football this week. Yeah, it's nice. It's sort of nice to have a, a week. We were talking about this, Al, during the week. It's nice to have a, a bye week where you just don't have to worry about the Chargers just shit in the bed and just continuing rubbish form and ruining your week from a Monday evening onwards. Uh but you also just are really hungry to watch the Chargers play. So we'll be chomping at the bit. We're going to join one another's company on Monday night our time and watch the Falcons game. How have you been this week though, Al? Very well, man. I know that we. it seems like we do this every year. As the trade deadline approaches, we start getting excited about all the moves that could be made, working out cap hits, cap consequences. We've got to know by now, guys, it's just wasted energy. Um, and well, it's just not in our DNA, but that's okay. That's okay. We, um, we trust our wide receiver trio of Bandy Palmer and, uh, Deandre Carter and we move on. Cool. We're going to have to, <laughs> uh, as always a nod to our wonderful listeners, guys, thanks for riding through this rough patch of the football season with us and throughout the season. Uh, we're all about talking charges here. Having you all lend your ears is fantastic for us. Please, if you haven't already, quick favor, just hit the like and subscribe buttons to stay up to date with our show. So, gents, um, a bit to get through today before we preview the Dirty Birds game. We're at the midway point of the year and, look, a bit of a timely week off for the Bolts to reset and hopefully see out the remainder of the season with a bit of gusto. Jack's cooked up a bit of fun, a bit of a fun way to dissect what we've seen thus far and how Alistair and I are grading certain things we're a bit in the dark about it so that that could be a a bit of a fun way to see what we've seen and who's responsible or not uh we'll look in depth at what we're likely to be facing come sunday afternoon in atlanta and alley boy has teed up a little summer hashtag tdu mailbag to finish us off it's a bi-week discussion so jack take it away cool yeah thanks andy awesome intro um I have done some reading over the last couple of weeks in the bye week and I reread one of my favorite books about the NFL and that was Bill Walsh's most vaunted standard, oh sorry, The Score Takes Care of Itself and that's about his kind of uh, learnings and he wrote it after his time with the 49ers and it applies to life, it applies to organizations, it applies to your work, etc. So I thought I am going to run a little bit of a quiz in true teacher fashion I've given myself some uh, grading bands. And what I'm going to get Andy and Alistair to do is I'm going to read out a statement from uh, 
Bill, well, he's got about 18 um, standards of performance, and we're going to apply these standards of performance to Brandon Staley. Now, this is a complete gut feel for Andy and Alistair. They're going to give a score one to five, five being that they believe that Brandon Staley is hitting that really, really well, so doing very well at it, number one being not so good. So, are we all cool with those rules, gentlemen? Far away, boss. Yes, sir. Good. Mr. Reed. Awesome. So at the end of it, what we're going to do is then have a look at the scores and I'm going to, you're going to um, have implicitly graded Brandon Staley's season based on these criteria and hopefully that gives us sort of, a, I guess, a framework for a further discussion. So remember, no clarifying the questions. You've just got to go straight with your gut feel. You're all about a gut First feel. One. No, we well, this is for the enough. listeners. If you've got your Especially- pen and paper out, listeners, get ready to jot down some scores. Yeah, so if you're a listener, like think in your head, five being really good, one being not so good. Brandon Staley, what do you think? Um, here we go. Number one, exhibit a ferocious and intelligently applied work ethic directed toward continual improvement. A one, two, three, or four, or five. Mm-hmm. Number two, demonstrate respect for each person in the organization and the work he or she or they do. Number three, be deeply committed to learning and teaching, which means increasing your or our own expertise. Number four, be fair. Simple one, that one. How fair do you think Brandon Staley's been this year? Number five, this is another simple one, demonstrates character. Number six, Honour the direct connection between details and improvement. Number seven, relentlessly seek improvement. Number eight, show self-control, especially when it counts most, under pressure. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Number nine, demonstrate and prize loyalty. That can be both good and bad, I believe. Number 10, use positive language and have a positive attitude. Number 11, be willing to go the extra distance for the organization. Number 12, deal appropriately with victory and defeat, adulation and humiliation. Number 13, Promote internal communication that is both open and substantive, especially under stress. Couple more. 14, seek poise in myself and those I lead. Number 15, put the team's welfare and priorities ahead of my own. Number 16, maintain an ongoing level of concentration and focus that is abnormally high. Number 17, make sacrifice and commitment the organization's trademark. And then number 18, the leader must exhibit the principles, code of conduct and behavior that he is asking others to emulate. So there we go. If anyone, if the listeners are thinking if um, that's, it is a great book, it's called The Score Takes Care of Itself. Um, the, The title kind of gives away what it's about. It's about if you get your back-end organization uh, organized, 
and structured correctly with the right culture and the right environment of learning and teaching, it doesn't matter what happens on game day, the score takes care of itself. So I ask Andy and Alistair now to perhaps tally up your scores, if you can, quickly in your head, and uh, give me your scores when you are ready. Some of the questions whilst they're doing that, um, listeners, well, uh, um, you can ask yourselves or we can ask a Brandon Staley, how well are people embracing him and the culture? You know, Are you willing to confront and potentially remove those who do not embrace your standards? What kind of tone are you setting for the program? Are you the hardest worker? Who are your team's locker room leaders? Which of your athletes and staff have your back? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, Andy Urell, who's, uh, who's, who's ready for a score for me? Yeah, I've got one. I've uh, graded Coach Staley 75 out of 90. Wow. Okay, so you've given him, in my grading scale, you've, you've put him in the brilliant range, which is an A. So he, you've graded him an A. I wasn't expecting such a high score. Andy, what about you? Uh, I've given Coach Staley a 65. 65. So in my grading scheme here, you've given him a, you've given a B plus, which is solid. Uh, just to let the listeners know, anything below a 50 was comp, oh, sorry, anything above 50 was competent, uh, between 50 and 65. Emerging was around a D. And then 20 and below was go fuck yourself. So we're really lucky that uh, none of us have scored. We haven't scored below 20. Um, anything that stuck out in terms of your scoring, Alistair, I might start with you, that um, you gave Staley either a 5-4 or a 1-4. Well, some of the con- – there was a, a, a kind of a natural connection between a, lo- a lot of those questions. It was a lot mm-hmm. about uh, a commitment to learning and development, humility, leading by example, listening, and I think – Staley excels in all of those areas. Like he is a committed learner and no one could reasonably doubt his work ethic and his character. I think those shine through as his signature strengths. So, um, and I love this exercise because if you buy into Bill Walsh's kind of categorization and why not given the success he had, it would lead you to believe that Staley possesses the traits and processes that hopefully will lead to long-term winning. And now's a fantastic time to reflect on that because we'll get into it as we break it down. There's a lot of negative, um, almost antipathy towards the Chargers at the moment by Chargers fans. Um, and we'll explore the reasons for that as we go. But it's that was a nice exercise for me to come back to the core traits and principles of our head coach. And I think he's fantastic in those respects. Yeah, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, well, I think the the questionnaire was strongly character-based. And as Al said, he does possess all those uh, characteristics that make a, good le- uh, make a good leader and show want for self-improvement. Um, <clears throat> it, it's not a quiz about get the result, you know. And mm-hmm. like you said, if you've got these characteristics, then the results will come. So... If you're putting a year and a half, um, this year especially, ravaged with injuries and dealing with a lot of noise from the outside about we're underperforming, why aren't we 6-1 and one or 7-0 and oh or some crazy stuff like that? Why didn't we make any trades? Because you got no idea about where our contracts are at the moment with uh, a lot of money going into key players and the need for draft capital to just get a gun for hire and um, lose 
draft picks and have to cut players because we can't afford them. So, um, look, I, do, I, do, I just think he, I do think he's a he's a great character and a good leader. And hopefully, if you do buy into that, the results will come. Hmm. Yeah, I think Alistair and Andy you both hit the nail on the head. Is we as supporters, uh, on whether it's on Twitter or on social or any other social media, we're so concerned about wins and losses. We're so concerned about the disparity between how well we played in some games and then how, how well we don't play, sorry, how we don't play well in others. And I think that was a really good exercise for me after revisiting that book to go, well, there are a lot of other things that go into the on-field performance, not just what we see every week. And I think I gave Staley, I did this quiz um, myself, and I gave him a 72. So that's sitting at an A-. minus. And if we're going off of what Bill Walsh, and arguably he's one of the most um, the most prominent, if not the most prominent of the, of the sort of 80s and 90s sort of coaches, a lot of the... A lot of it is not necessarily about wins and losses. It's about getting your culture right. And then on the field, it just takes care of itself. So yeah, you're right. A year and a half, Andy, is not enough to see these results, I don't think. we've. And I've got some other stats later that'll be quite interesting. Um, but let's just, I guess, go back into our, what we normally do, interesting um, and important. I think to sort of touch on the character, um, I think one of the most important things we've seen is the progression in our rookies. And I think they are growing. I think that Salia and Johnson are the two best examples of that. And so there is, I feel like players are getting better. Are we getting better as units? Perhaps not just yet, but there are signs of improvement, which, you know, is a testament to Staley's, Staley's teaching. You know, is everyone going to be an A-plus straight off the bat? No, it takes time. So uh, that's kind of how we how I'm going to open up um, the discussion from here. What, what, what say you, Al? I think that's right. I think it's right that we can find individual instances of players who might have improved. Solia's a really good one, right? Like, would you have believed that this guy who comes in as a sixth-round rookie at the moment is graded as PFF's 23rd-ranked offensive tackle in the league, left and right? He's the highest-graded rookie. I mean, fantastic. But we just did a grading scale um, from Bill Walsh. Here's a different PFF grading scale that's more linked to on-field results. And this is why there are some causes of concern. Right now, we're the 27th graded overall team in the league. The defense is graded 28th. The pass blocking, 23rd. The run blocking, 32nd. The defense, 25th. So... That's they're suggesting that on the field, our record is actually belying us. We have been fortunate to win four games, and when in those numbers start to bank up, that a lot of negatives, you do feel there's a risk of the floor falling out from under the team, and that the losses will start to come because maybe we deserve more losses than we have. Um, there are a lot of little things to unpack there. What we can do, um, but maybe a first question I'll throw. Andy, since we, we've got those results, which are what they are, last week you were talking about how do we shake things up? What can we do? And you started talking about something like play calling. Well, talk to us about would, would you have made a move if you were the coach, either as, as a, at a coordinator position or at a play calling mm, like decision? What would have you done over the bye, coach Andy? 
I think it could be a little bit interesting to have Joe Lombardi step back a bit and have Shane Day step up into the play calling role. Mm. Um, I think he has a really good relationship with Justin Herbert. He brings something different, comes from San Fran, the wide zone offense, Shanahan offense. Um, that's a start from me. But what about you, Jack? What do you think on that? Well, we've seen it across the league, uh, not only this season, but in seasons past where the head coach has been either calling the offense or the defensive plays. I have a feeling that we should ask Brandon Staley to, if we're thinking about the feel and he's this great leader, we're grading him an A and he's committed to learning, perhaps he's trying to wear too many hats on game day and perhaps he needs to step away from the defensive play calling and actually go back to his gut, go back to the uh, sort of the this intense, positive fourth down, go for it kind of gunfighter attitude that we saw last year that we kind of hung our hat on as a team and there was that identity there. At the moment, the identity is fluid. I can't seem to put my put my hand on it. And to sort of go back, I said, I guess to link my first important point was that the rookies uh, seem to be improving and players seem to be improving. I still think a challenge of this team is that the strength of the team still remain individuals. This, they're not positional groups. Um, and I know that might be being harsh, but we still hang our hat on. We hope that JC Jackson has a great year. We hope that SJD fixes the run defense. We hope that Austin Eckler gets his 20 touchdowns. We hope that Joey Bosa plays. We hope that Khalil Mack plays. So we're not necessarily looking at our depth uh, in that or it gets in positional groups. Um, and we're obviously having to do that because of the challenge to injury. So Alistair, should we remain hopeful as a supporter base? I, I believe that Straight we Straight to it. <laughs> I, I'm usually very optimistic, and the listeners who are part of Bolts from the Blue, I mean, you all tend to view me as almost over-the-top optimistic, and some think that, you know, I'm on a next level of lunacy. Um, but my, my optimism's really been tested. Uh, I thought I'd feel better over the bye week. I thought I'd feel better over the bye week, but then... You know, the Keenan Allen news broke this morning and those good feelings, for me, they've dissipated a bit because we just had a brutal loss to the Seahawks. The Falcons, as we'll get into later, have those hallmarks. They're just good enough at a few things that they're going to pose a big challenge. And right now, it's hard to feel too excited about a, a receiving group that is missing Keenan and Mike and a few other stars. And... Weird vibes around the team up to the bye. You just don't know how they're going to come out. Is it going to be Houston revisited from last year? Or are we going to be sitting here next week so excited that the team turned the corner and is sitting at five and three? I don't know. I can't wait to watch it. But I can't say right now I'm feeling good about it. I'm actually feeling a, a bit scared, to be honest. For the listeners, just a bit of a... just as This is behind the curtain here. Alistair all week has been saying, we're not going to lose this game. This is this is it. We're not going to lose. We can't lose. We cannot lose. We cannot lose. So I'm not sure where this where this backflips come from, but uh, interesting. Anyway, a bit of a backflip. You said yesterday that cappuccino fixed you. I think this morning's cappuccino uh, flipped you back. <laughs> something in it. They poisoned uh, me. Too much chocolate on top. Yeah. Um, well, well, look... The, there's lots to talk about. Some things, let's try to break down things we think we can improve on. One that gets spoken a lot about, I'm going to start, things that we need to see change if we're going to get better, perhaps. 
One is stretching the field. We've got to do something to stop defenses having the confidence to play lots of men in the box, cover one, and it's smothering our running game because they know they're getting away with it. We don't have anyone who can stretch the field. Justin Herbert, his yards per attempt is sitting at 6.5. There are only four quarterbacks who've had less than that in the league. His average depth of target is at 6.8. Again, there's only four quarterbacks in the league with lower average depth of target. Is it the ribs? Is it something else? But if we're going to change our fortunes around, I think we need to see that happen more. We need to air the ball out, throw the ball to help our running game. I'll start off with that. Andy, do you, what do you think we might need to do a little bit better to, to, to you know, transform our fortunes? Well, maybe, maybe it is the, the lack of personnel that's inhibiting us. It's, it's a poor, um, poor depth group, really, because they're all relatively similar skill sets. Uh, and we don't have an explosive guy. Guyton was the closest, and he's gone for the season. So that's probably where also a lot of the banging on the walls came from during this trade period. Wanting a guy who can do exactly that, stretch the field. Um, For me, it's situational um, decision-making from Staley, I think from offense as well. It's personnel. It's play calling. It's those, you know, we've we've had the gambling man Staley, um, just fourth and Staley going for it. We're seven, seven of seventeen this year, and the guys we're going Austin Eckler fourth and one up the middle. What? Like it just it blows your mind, and (laughs) you really just sit there, and that that sort of shit sits with you when you turn over on downs after a an interception, and you're going. But why do we do that? Um, so yeah, I, I'd like to see Jackie. I think you made a really good point, and it's probably more applicable about Staley stepping back. I'm just concerned deeply that Ronaldo Hill cannot do it. Um, I, I think that's I, I don't know. I, I think that's a concern. Um, if Staley can't be, if if Staley's calling the defensive plays, and this is where we are defensively, what? Maybe a change-up would be good, but I'll eat my hat if we improve and run out of heels calling plays on defense. Um, that would Whack. probably be a more applicable thing, so he could actually um, focus on the game and orchestrating everything rather than having too many hats on. Al- Jack, this, yeah, um, I, I agree. I, I don't know if I would make a coordinated change. I, I give, because part of that learning and development process Jack was talking about, I'd like to see... Lombardi and Staley get together over the bye week, commit to making a number of changes, see what they can do. And then if you need to make a change in maybe three weeks time, do it. Um, Jack, I want to talk, I want you to talk about the offensive line and what's going on because we've got a new offensive line coach and all of a sudden our O-line sucks. Herbert's being pressured on 35.7% of dropbacks Yet he's the best in the league in pressure to sack conversion. So mm. Herbert's getting pressured a lot, man. He's just finding a way not to get sacked. Talk to me. What's going on with the O-line? Well, I've actually got it in my interesting. I have found myself this year as the offensive line not being the whipping boy that it actually has been. So yes, he's getting more pressure. Yes, uh, he's got broken ribs from poor protection. But what can you do when 
Um, you know, your left tackle goes out for the year. What can you do when Lindsley, who I still believe is the most important, if not, as you pointed out a couple of weeks ago, that the second most important player on our roster, he's been in and out. Pipkins was trending well. He was trending to be the an adequate right tackle. That's all we wanted him to be. After that knee injury, that's really hurt him. Zion Johnson, I believe, has has started well, probably plateaued a bit like a rookie should, um, or you'd expect a rookie to. Yep. I saw a, a recent, I did the, the Chargers at Home documentary. I watched him go back to his middle school and talk to his teacher. That man, give him a contract straight mm. away. If we can have Zion Johnson and Rayshon Slater on that line for the next 10 years, I think we're going to be okay. So that leaves Matt Filer, that leaves Will Clapp, that leaves the depth. Um, I think in years past, and this is where BTFB might call me crazy, in years past, I think it would be a dumpster fire. I think we've actually taken a step forward in terms of building that depth and building the quality. It's just injuries. And I know that's not an excuse to use um, flippantly, but it is. And I think that the play design and the way that Herbert is throwing the ball, the ribs have really hurt him. I just don't think it's been a great start. I personally have liked the offensive line, and I'm going to be positive about mm-hmm. that uh, because we don't have Trey Pipkins. Uh, we'd, being left tackle, we don't have Storm Norton on the field. Yeah. We don't have Scott Questenberry there. There's depth. We're okay. It's going to be all right. I truly believe that. All right. Is, is it a case of Lombardi just saying to Herbert, this is the play call, but your protection's going to fuck you. So we've made the check down real easy. And that's just all it is. Like, don't, almost don't even bother. Watching our offense at times is like watching a learner driver trying to get a manual car on a hill start first mm. go. <laughs> oh, it's, With some uh, of your driving escapades when you first started off driving, mate. <laughs> I wasn't too bad at the old hill start. I made a bit of noise, a bit of smoke, but... Um, <laughs> But is it? But it must be very difficult because one of my changes that I would have brought on is about trying to find some kind of identity. What are we? Are we a team that gets her to throw the ball fifty-seven times a game, or are yeah. we going to commit to it? And and is Lombardi going to tell his offensive line to go? I need you to be road graders. I want you to go out there and hit bodies. Or are we trying to do everything we can to protect Justin Herbert? Because those are two very different mindsets. Yeah. Well, we've. Those are two very different minds. How do we have the third most pass attempts in the NFL when our quarterback is battling fractured ribs? The reason is because we've we've been going down early in games in a couple of the bad losses, right? Hmm. So needed to throw to get back into it. Or we've tried to run the ball and it's just not working at all. So they're going, well, we've got to try win this football game. Next minute, 50 pass attempts two weeks in a row. I agree, it's got to change. But but what do you do though? So if if you're the offensive line coach, obviously protecting Justin Herbert's probably up there. It's number one. And so you put your time in at training, you put your time in in the film room of going, okay, let's look at our past blocking snaps. Let's make sure that we're we're covering that. What gets left out is the run game. Perhaps. I mean, that's an assumption that I'm making. So what are we? What do we want to be? And I think that's, you know, when it comes to identity. Uh, that's where we're lacking. We're, we're going to um, find out this week, right? Because if suddenly we see more 21 and 22 personnel, Horvath lined up in the backfield mm. with, you know, Spiller behind him, more traditional eye formation or extra offensive linemen. How about you come in with six offensive linemen, Norton or Hymas as sixth, playing even tight end and just go, we're going to run the ball down your throats. 
Atlanta. We're going to change it up. We're not going to have another game with 50 pass attempts. We're going to do some stuff to show we're committed to running the ball. Or we come out and we're trying to win the game by throwing it to um, Jason Moore and Joe Reed. We'll find out either way. Cool. Yep. Oh, good. Yeah, Jack, on your point, um, it's a big concern for me. There's the lack of um, creating, developing, and maintaining any sense of sort of identity with this football team. You, you can't sit and watch a game without stressing because you're either going to get the way that it's gone this year is we've won four games by, well, excluding the Texans, by within a field goal, just about. And uh, the games that we've lost by the Chiefs, where we actually put up a fight, which makes the whole thing... And we were in position to to win that game. Um, and then we've lost comprehensively to the Jags and really the Seahawks. It was 21 points with five odd minutes to go. Um, it's a concern. And that's a little bit of Staley onto the playing group or mm. his coordinators. Is the message that they're trying to get out the same? Is it consistent? Um can I can I just jump in? Mm. And I did a little bit of research looking at probably some of the best coaches or best young coaches I would consider in the NFL. And I looked at their record over their head coaching career so far. So let me just throw these numbers at you. And this, when I did this, it made me start to feel a little bit better about where we're at. So I look at Kyle Shanahan, right? I consider Kyle Shanahan and what he does with the 49ers to be incredible. I love watching them play. First year head coach, six and 10. Second year, head coach, four and 12. Third year, 13 and three, NFC champs. Fourth year, six and 10. Fifth year, 10 and seven. So those first two years, you know, if we're- Chargers fans would have fired him. Exactly. Chargers fans would have fired him. Look at Sean McDermott, okay? Nine and seven, first year. Second year, six and 10. All right? See you later. Bye. See ya. Goodbye. Third year, 10 and six. Fourth year, 13 and three. Fifth year, 11 and six. Look at Mike Vrabel, nine and seven, first year, nine and seven, second year, fired. See you later. Bye bye. Third year, eleven and five. Fourth year, twelve and five. Zach Taylor, two and fourteen, four and eleven. Yeah, well, he should be bye bye. Chargers fans. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but then they, they go ten and seven at AFC champs. Yep. Um, and we look at Matt LaFleur, 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 13 and 4. If it's not for Aaron Rodgers, I don't think he's yeah. hanging around. But, but, but what's guys, happening look, now? Look at these. No offense, Dan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But look at, look at around the league. You can't, you gotta give, you gotta give some time. You gotta give at least three, three years. years. And I know that's defending Staley again. But look, Shanahan, McDermott, Vrabel. And look at the turnaround that they've got and look at the teams and the identity. And the got injuries now. So, are real. It's kind of crazy. Staley said in his press conference today, if we weren't a, a together um, mm. sound culture as a football team, we would not be four and three today. Look around the league, exactly. look at the Broncos, look at the Raiders. We would be sitting here with two wins, injuries to six of our best, 10 players, and really saying, fire the coach, fire the coach. We've actually done well to find a way to win four games. We're and four I know and three. Yeah. We've got a, we've got a over 500 record. But they just want more. They want six and one, seven and oh. Ridiculous stuff. Oh, look what the Eagles are doing. Just it beggars belief to have that kind of approach. You've got to I but that that exercise for me was really intriguing to look at. It's that third year where the where the pressure really goes. Okay, you've had twenty four months to instill that culture, Andy, that identity that we're looking for. 
that standard of performance, if we want to run it back a little bit, that's what we're looking for. And I mean, listen, we go 10 and 7, whatever we do. I still think you keep, you have to keep Staley around. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time. Mm. It's just a waste of two years. So give him one more shot. This is a very positive. I'm being very positive. I don't know what's over. No, that's right. I'll swap. I'll go the other way. I'm going to circle back to something okay. you said about the rookies. Well, you know what? We haven't seen two of them. And to me, that's yeah. unacceptable. We've got to get him in the game. Spiller having one, with you, one carry. And JT Woods, mate, I don't care how bad he is. Let's have a look. Let's have a few snaps. Mm. Just sprinkle him in. I don't see any long-term value in Aloe Gilman and Sony Michelle continuing to get snaps in these games where we're playing the quote-unquote easy teams. Get them in there. I want to see that change moving forward. Oh, I think we need Sony in this game just because it's Eckler and Spiller. Yeah. At least until Kelly's back. But yeah, not like don't suit up. Yeah, just get, get them in there. Get them involved. Get them some touches. Yeah. Don't get me um, wrong. I'd, I'd happily see... Uh, Sony Michelle in uh, pass block situations and, sh- you know, third and fourth and short, short yardage situations. Don't get him in the, in the passing game. He's not a, he's not a receiving back. We're, we're not using him in pass blocking. That's one of his strengths. Um, just use him right. Uh, where was I going with... <clears throat> What I'm, I think it was at Eric. Is it Eric Smith? Forgive me from Chargers Weekly, who joins um Money Eric Smith. Eric Williams. Oh, anyway, maybe sure. Uh, he made a really good point. Staley talks a lot in presses about having the right group of guys on the field. You know, certain situations. It seems to be a common thread, and I'm going to ask you, Al. Do you do we do we see the right group of guys out there? Do we have the right group of guys in the building as far as Staley's concerned? And why, if, if we do have those guys, why are, they, why are the right guys not on the field at the right time? Well, I think a lot of those right guys are off the field because they can't physically get onto it, but um, if, through injury. Well, basically. if we're talking about of those available, of those can't available. Use, you can't use... No. If, if, like... It would have been better if we had the the right guys, like the people who can't play. You you play. Yeah, with you your t- cards I think out. you tend to find that the right guys look more like the right guys the longer they play with one another. So I'm looking to see more a better performance, especially I'm thinking on the defensive side of the ball. Mm. I, I want to see more harmony and harmonious movement towards the ball from guys who've now played together for eight weeks. I mean, we're talking about an explosive run or pass in every single game, basically. 50 yards, 70 yards, 50 yards. And Jack has said it. I mean, either the teacher's not getting the the lessons right or the students aren't receiving the lessons properly. Either way, can't have any more of that because then maybe they're not the right guys. We should see them develop into the right guys as this season develops. Yeah. Hey, Andy, I've got a question for you, and I guess this has a bit of more of a positive vibe to it. I believe, through everything that we've talked about so far, there seems to be a solid culture. I personally would not be feeling like this if Lynn or McCoy were coaching. No. Are we just more aware because we've been fans for a little bit longer? We've we've grown up a little bit more. Um, If you put yourself and you had Lynn or McCoy standing up in front of the mic today or yesterday talking... Do you feel worse or better? If one of those two are the coach instead of Brandon Staley at this point in time. Yes. I feel a lot worse. 
Yeah, exactly. A lot worse. Now, some yeah. Chargers fans would yeah. say, Andy, well, McCoy made the playoffs in his second year and Lynn made the playoffs and Finnick came, had 12 wins in his second year. This guy's got a way better team. He inherited Justin Herbert. At least they got results. Results are all that matter. That's a fair call. Uh, I don't think either Lynn or McCoy inherited particularly bad teams. Um, we are, I'm not going to use the excuse of still meshing together, but... Jack, you make the point every week that we show signs of just complete lack of cohesion in all phases of the ball. So it's there. Uh, Staley is a man who seems to just absolutely encapsulate. You just believe in him. There's, there's a confidence in what he says, in how he says it. The story from where he's come from, the success he had as the defensive coordinator leading the number one defense in the league. Um, you just never got that from... Lynn was a, a better speaker to the players, far better relationship builder, and that's yeah, a good, good players why coach. he was put in, for sure. Likeable yeah. guy, yeah. good coach, good leader. Good leader. Mike anyway. McCoy, man, he's like weak that, uh, milk that's been sitting out for a week. Um, I just, I get uh, it's nothing. So, well, he yeah, didn't instill you with confidence, did he? No, but McCoy. I don't think he's ever... No. I think he's got self-esteem issues, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna lift. Oh, well, no, you go, Jack. I was gonna say I'm gonna reel this back in because I think there's one person that we probably haven't talk, spoken about here. Um, Tommy, big time, Alistair. Mm-hmm. Where is Tom Telesco sitting in the realms of a good general manager? Uh, I shared earlier in our chat that uh, he's only had one double-digit win season in his tenure as a Chargers GM. Is he a good general manager? And if he is or isn't, what are you looking for? Where does he sit in all this? Look, we like the off-season, right? We actually love the off-season. We thought he's probably had his his last two years may have been his best two years. or And maybe that's because Staley has, plays more a role in personnel evaluations. I'd kind of feel that he does. And that kind of begs the question, what is it that Telesco's even doing? Um, we, str- we struggle a bit with depth, obviously. I mean, yeah. there, there's just a collection of third and fourth and fifth round picks who just die in the arse and that kills your football team because they're meant to be your depth pieces and your special teams. So I think that's where they really struggle. We're not making the most of our third, fourth, fifth round picks. Look at Trey McKitty and Josh Palmer so far. Ugh. I mean, Palmer, there's hope for him, but a blocking tight end in the second pick in the third round, really? Like, really? Um, not even like a valuable blocking tight end. He's a yeah. penalty monster. and We'll find out if the team doesn't make the playoffs and Telesco doesn't lose his job, he's just never going to lose his job. It means he's set up essentially as a puppet. He's just a face for decisions that are being made by others, by ownership and by the coaching staff. And he's a guy they just like because he's malleable and he does what they say. I mean, yeah, don't have a lot of faith in Tom Telesco. Come on our show, dude. Um, <laughs> I, I want to be po- yeah, yeah, go. It's, go it's, I, I agree with you. It's a massive realization for me over the last couple of weeks that with what's happening to our to our roster with injuries and just seeing the guys that are on the field, you know, your Carter, Bandy and more and going, the, the other guys aren't coming back. This is like, this is as good as it gets. And that sort of fear creates anger when you don't make any moves at during the trade period. It's understandable with, like I said earlier, you know, 
the draft capital and the financial repercussions, our cap is tight as hell and it's getting bad. It's getting worse yep. in the next few years. But the, the team's potentially been built pretty poorly. Um, we've pulled wool over our eyes by signing all these uh, marquee players that want to come to LA, play for Coach Staley. We, we feel like we got them on steals relatively. Um, shame on us for only really caring about this year, thinking we're going for it this year, we're all in. And now we're not, get, we can't be, and we're going maybe next year or the year after, but we're going to miss, we're going to lose a couple of those pieces. Yeah. Um, well, the- you, you, you kind of wonder whether the NFL is slowly, or the rug that the NFL GM kind of role is, 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 is slowly being pulled out from underneath Telesco because... We're looking at, look at the, what the Rams do. They just go all in and they deal with the salary cap stuff later. Now, without them trading in the window, I think they've kind of put the white flag up a little bit and gone, well, we probably need to, uh, we might need to regroup a little bit. Um, but you know, the Bills are going for it. The Chiefs are clearly very active. It was the most active trade period in history on that final day with, with all sorts of players moving. So. Um, you know, this old school way of building rosters that Telesco perhaps learned in his time in Indianapolis, maybe that's slowly starting to shift. Maybe he needs to be a little bit more aggressive, but who knows? As, as Alistair said, I think he had a great off season. Yeah. We loved it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting kind of wash out the season. It's the wool over the eyes though. Um, we mm. get the message from the head office that we're, like I said, we're all in, we're a contender, we're going for it. But then, yeah, injuries happen and there's no contingency. We're not built for for the next man up kind of um, aspect of the uh, the way this is going. All right, Jack, you've got a, a few awards uh, that you want to run through. So do you want to start us off with that? I do, yeah. Um, I have. Uh, are we going to go Chargers Offensive yeah. MVP or we, yep. what are we going to do? Yep. Yeah, so I guess we're looking at the Chargers offensive MVP and that was given to Alistair. Um, so who have you chosen for the Chargers mid-season MVP? Drum roll. I'm giving it to Corey Lindsley. He is my offensive yes. MVP in the true sense of the world. He is our most valuable player. The minute you take him out, we're disgraceful. You put him back in, we're functional or even really good. So I'm going to give it through Corey Lindsley. Please stay healthy. Like it, I, I would. Uh, I love that pick too. Love seeing an offensive lineman as the uh, offensive MVP. Andy, you've got defensive MVP. Who are you picking? This on? was this was pretty hard, but I went from an all round perspective, and I've gone with Derwin oh, James Jr. Oh, nice one. Oh, I thought you were going to go with Khalil. I did. I was. I was. It was very close, but I've gone with DJ. So, Derwin James. Yeah. He's he's grading very well uh, across all parts of the field. You just see him. He's uh, all I had the place. He's just everywhere. Sacks, yeah. coverage, all that kind of gear. Great leader. Yeah, awesome leader. I had the Chargers special teams MVP, drum roll for the most important player on the roster, and I've gone with Josh Harris, the long snapper. Oh! There we go. I haven't gone J.K. Scott. Lloyd's yeah, just throwing a brick gone... there. <laughs> yeah, he has. Lloyd's put it up from three thinking it's a... It's a sure thing and denied. I've got Josh Harris. I think uh, the snapping and the... We haven't seen any really muffed punts. We haven't seen any really badly missed field goals. The only time we see a missed field goal is when Hopkins pulls it because it's too far. 
Uh, I'm going to give it to Josh well, the problem Harris because apparently award, he's also a great leader. The, the in problem the, with this award the, is if you had to give it to him, you wouldn't know who to give it to. <laughs> no, he's a leader in the locker room, mate. That's all I understand. Him to what be. number so, is he? Good on you, Josh Harris. What number is he? Giving you, giving you a shout what out. What number is Josh Harris? Uh, I don't know. Double zero. Who knows? Um, 45? 43? <laughs> some... Who knows? Alistair, most impressive rookie award. You can only be one Who've person, right? Is it, as you yeah. said, Zion has stepped in and he's played at a at a decent level. I don't think he's played... I think he's played somewhere in between decent and well. Pretty pretty yep. good starter. Pretty good effort for a first first round rookie. So Zion Johnson for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that uh, one too. And uh, Andy, you've got, most, you've got most improved. Where do we look at here? This was an interesting one, I thought. So I'll be interested to hear your answer. Yeah, I was, I've been pretty captivated with his play throughout the year. Uh, I found him to be one of the most consistent... Uh, on defense, uh, he's had he's shown promise in the the last couple of years. Injuries have held him back. My most improved, Drew Tranquil. Nice. Uh, I think yeah. I think he's been awesome. Love it. As a leader as well, he's got that in him too. Yeah, let's not trade away our oh. best middle linebacker. Oh, he's got he's let's, gone. Let's let, let him walk in free to see. Oh, I got. I hope Mate, we not. just we, uh, and we get him up and we just kick linebackers out. Rookie deal and gone. That's yeah. it. And, and then sign forty year olds like, like Thomas Davis. Oh, Kaiser White looks like he might go win a Super Bowl, so good on him. Uh, I, I got drawn the short straw here, um, and I got most disappointing, and we short mentioned straw. his name You've got earlier. plenty to choose from. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, no, I've got two really bad categories. That's that's how I saw yeah. it. But uh, most most disappointing, uh, we did mention him before. I'm going with Joshua Palmer. Oh, I was oh, expecting okay. a lot more out of him as our third receiver. I was hoping he would take the mantle from Keenan Allen as that possession receiver. In between that, in that intermediate passing game, um, unfortunately he's had injuries. But uh, no, I'm not meaning to crap on this guy, but he's been my most disappointing. Yeah. All right, let's get to some um, some more interesting awards, and we have a, l- a little bit more fun. So we're going to go around the horn in this one. Um, we'll start with Alistair. We'll go Andy, and then we'll finish with me, and I'll launch again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go with the least worst award. So this is a player that we thought or you thought was going to be bad, but actually hasn't played that badly, but is actually still pretty bad. Yeah. Ali, who is It's Jerry Tillery. The guy is <laughs> the guy is he's actually shit, but he's shown a few times this year, hey, actually, you're improving the last three weeks. You're grading pretty well. Oh, you applied a pressure. Oh, but there's a penalty. Oh wait, you just got blown off the ball by a guard. So he's the least worse. He hasn't been Kenny Murray bad, but he's been Jerry Tillery bad. So well done for you. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, what do you got? Um, I had a list of oh, somewhere between five and ten. I've gone with, <laughs> and it's probably a bit of a low blow, but I've gone with Trey Pipkins. Uh, he's had moments Ooh. of serviceability. He's been battling with his knee injury. There's times where he's a witch's hat and times where he's not a total piece of garbage. So that's how I... Uh, criterion <laughs> that award. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, as an Americanism well, there. That's how, that's yeah, how no, I was criterion. That's, I love it. <laughs> that's a couple of beers um, of being a tradie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had it when I made this award. I had this guy in my mind. It's none other than the Mister Int himself uh, that won us the game against Cleveland, which is Mister Alohi Gilman. Mm-hmm. So he's showing that, and it was uh, it flashed hot. 
But other than that, Nas has taken back that spot. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be on the roster for much longer. Uh, the next one, and uh, Alistair is a big fan, or we all are a big fan of this commentator, of Chris Carlinsworth. This is the Here's a Guy Award. Uh, this is to the player who commentators always love to analyze each week, who will always have a little tidbit of information. Alistair, who have you I got? I say, well, here's a guy who wears number 52. Yeah, he bats down passes, <laughs> he defends the run, he rushes the passer, and he just does it all. And the cameras love him, and I love here's a guy I like to talk about. I think that's obvious. He's always front and center in any kind of primetime game. It is Khalil Mack who has played up to the name. So good on him. I love the fella. Uh, yes, it's, I was going to say, it's funny. Sometimes when you get the, the off brand kind of CB, CBS or NBC, sorry, or the Fox commentators, um, and they get the players names wrong half the time. So I thought this was a, this is quite a funny award, Jack. It's Khalil Mack for me as well. I can't believe they, they traded just a second round pick for this guy. Uh, (laughs) Lots of talk about his contract, about the importance of him in this defense. Staley's defense, Staley's guy. Derwin James was a close second for me. Well, we've got the triumvirate there because I, Khalil Mack too. So we won't hark on that too much. But that just shows how impressive he has been. All right, the second last one. We have got another Americanism uh, on top of Andy's criterion, which I'm going to use from now on. I like that in the classroom. (laughs) And then I won't have a job as an English teacher anymore. Uh, but we've got the stick trophy. A player who's stuck with it no matter what so far. Al, what's It's Foxy. For me, it's Foxy. Nice. He comes in, he, he tries really hard. He's applying pressures, second most pressures on the team. So Morgan Fox, he sticks to it. Stick to the task. Love it. Uh, mine is Michael Davis. Beto. Um, he's gone from CB1 a couple of years ago coming in and then with the signing of Jackson he's fallen off the starting lineup and then we get injuries uh, during games and now pretty permanently and Vado stepped up and had a great game um, a few weeks ago in the second half when JC Jackson got benched he's playing heaps of special teams he's playing defense now um He's just working his way back into favour, so good on him. I had, Andy, you put him as the, which one did you put him as? The most improved, I think. Uh, Drew Tranquil for mine, sticking with it. Um, he's had a couple of injuries. That horrible, horrible injury that he had at the start of last year. He's come back. He's playing well. Good on you, Drew Tranquil, for sticking with it. The last one and the most important one out of all of it is the TDU Champ Trophy. So this is our own player of the year so far based on the following criteria. What player is the most Aussie in our eyes and why? Alistair, who have you got? Well, what you need to know about Australians is we have these core beliefs and almost mythological go. traits, <laughs> none, none of which I exemplify. It's you've got to be prepared to, you're to work hard and not, not take praise when it's earned. Be humble, just do your job. And just try your hardest for your mates. And I think there's a clear person who satisfies those criteria. He's criteriaed it. And that's because sneakily the guy's picked up a 13.7% run stop win rate, which ranks fourth in the entire NFL of all players with 100 run defense snaps. And I'm giving it to you, 
Austin Johnson. You never complain. You hate the attention on yourself. You don't big note. And if you watch the tape every single week, there's at least one player of a TFL or a sack or an amazing like fighting two blockers. He's trying really hard out there. Austin Johnson, well done. TDU champ. Nice. My TDU champ trophy. Oh, he called me champ. I'm giving it to the guy that you gave the stick to itiveness trophy to, Al. I've got Morgan Fox. He yep. strikes me as just a real blue collar, get your nose dirty, uh, work hard. Like you said, no complaints. Um, far less than I complain about my work. Uh, good on you, Morgan Fox. Keep it up. All right. Mine, I had in uh, when I thought about this, I thought about Gallipoli and I thought about going over the top of the trenches. A guy that is in the trenches and he's been asked to fill a giant, giant gap. He's being asked every week to line up against some of the best pass rushers and will in the future some of the best pass rushers in the league. This is going to none other than Jamari Solier. He does it. That's he good. works hard. He's a, he's a young guy um, and he's doing an incredible, incredible job, uh, whatever the team asks of him. So Jamari Solier, you are my TDU champion. Nice. Thanks for sorting that out, Jack. That was good fun. Bit of bit of humour whilst there's a lot of grey going on in Chargers land at the moment. All right, week eight Falcons preview. Not the Atlanta Seahawks, as I slipped up last week. <laughs> Got a bit excited, had a couple of beers. Uh, Chargers news from this week. On the injury front, we'll just quickly go over the repercussions again from the Seattle game. JC Jackson, obviously, out for the season. Mike Williams, high ankle sprain. This four to six week timeline, I think, is incredibly optimistic for me. Um, Chris Rumpf left the field at an MCL. Chad is today. He's actually trending pretty well, and it's not. He might miss this week, but it's not that bad. That seems to be the ailment of choice for the Chargers mm. this year. With Pipkins is hindered by it. We've lost Kelly, still from it, and now Chris Rumpf. Uh, so from Wednesday's practice, like yeah, Al, Al, as you said earlier, the most disappointing news to come out of Chargers camp this whole week. Uh, is that Keenan Allen has re-aggravated his hamstring injury just over the bye week, uh, as, he ch as he tweeted. Dustin Hopkins is still sidelined. Uh, Rumpf and Williams, obviously. Jerry Tillery did not practice with a back complaint. Um, it's certainly not from carrying any of his teammates. Love it. Uh, so it's a <laughs> bit of irony there. Donald Parham <laughs> and Joshua Palmer have returned from the concussion protocol, so that's a little bit of promise Good. for our... Uh, passing game and offense as a whole. Um, yeah, look, from the press conferences, it's really interesting to hear Staley. We talked about a few things, um, how he's sort of trying to rationalize where we're at as a team, um, sort of to the fans. Uh, he he sort of he feels that there weren't really many deals or options out there that would have worked for the Chargers in this moment, uh, confident in still in who we have to return from injury. So we've got Guyton for the season. Mike Williams, I reckon six to eight from now. Keenan Allen, who knows what's going on. So we're left with Palmer, Carter, Bandy, Moore, Hightower, and Doss. Uh, beg your pardon? That Doss. is, yeah, categorically, Doss. Microsoft Doss. Doss, <laughs> uh, If you're like, is that just sort of packing it in? for the next little while and just going, oh, well, you know, we might go five and eight and then we'll see what happens. We'll run the table at the end when it's too late. So 
So the focus on using these crises through, well, on that, if anything happens to DeAndre Carter, we're categorically fucked. We'll just, we'll just <laughs> drop that there. Uh, there seems to be a lot of focus and emphasis from Staley of, you know, u- using this these times of hardship uh, to improve fortitude and resilience down the stretch. So when we get these guys, I don't know who's lying to him about how long they're all going to be out for, but there we go. Uh, Al, mate, what happened in the Falcons last game? You want to run us through that? Very fun, fun game to watch. Falcons, Wasn't it just? Incredible. <laughs> Falcons beat the Panthers in overtime, 37-34, to which takes the Falcons to 4-4 four and four on the season. Interesting game. I mean, early on, Kyle Pitts has a touchdown in the red area. Um, then Lorenzo Carter has a 28-yard interception. You were talking about that last week, Jack. Carter has an interception return for a touchdown off an intended screen pass. So at halftime, Falcons were in front by four points. Then as the game developed... It's kind of back and forth. All Gia had a screen pass for a touchdown. Deontay Foreman started getting hot and DJ Moore started getting hot. Demir Bird, who I'm a little bit worried about, showcased extreme speed on a 47-yard touchdown pass for Mariota. The score is suddenly Atlanta up by three points with two minutes left. Uh, And then stuff got really interesting. The Falcons extend their lead to six points, 36 seconds left in the game. And we see one of the great deep passes from PJ Walker oh, yep. to DJ Moore. How he managed to get that beyond the double coverage and into DJ Moore's hands for the touchdown. Game over, right? Wrong. He's taken his helmet off and celebrated. I would I would have too. If any if ever there was a time to take your helmet off, that was it. But unfortunately, that's an unsportsmanlike conduct pat foul. Takes the pe- You'd be okay, Alistair, because we couldn't see if you had your helmet on or not. Same yes, shot. well said. It's true. <laughs> I'd be Sorry. I'd be blinding spectators left, right, and center. But unfortunately, <laughs> the Carolina Panthers kicker has no idea where center is. On the point after attempt, oh, he misses it. So all of a sudden, we're going oh. into our overtime, and then you can just tell when a kicker does not want to have another go for the rest of the day. <laughs> this is one of those. So in overtime... The Panthers, the sorry Falcon, no Panthers march down the field. They trot out Pinheiro for a 32-yard field goal attempt to win the game, and he butchers it. And the Falcons have one of the very best kickers in the league now, our old champion Young Way Koo, who just go they go straight down the field. He drills it from 41 yards. Falcons win 37-34. What a fantastic game! Um, any standout performers? Mariota actually passed the ball more than he usually does. He managed 250 mm-hmm. yards and three touchdowns, mm-hmm. but also threw a couple of picks. Uh, but really kind of went through the key performers as I broke down the game then. But real fun one to watch. Yeah, it was good fun. Lots of laughs. I've got a, a workmate that has just jumped on the Carolina Panthers. I don't know oh, why. Yeah. And oh, he was I think yeah. he was tossing up between them and the Bengals. And I said, oh, the Bengals are looking good. This this. Joe Burrows, you know, he's, he's really something. Anyway, he jumped on the Panthers and I revel in their shithousery. So that was good fun. Um, well, we're, we're facing them. Let's go through some of the Falcons' strengths. I'll kick us off. Um, I think just before we jump into sort of their strengths and weaknesses and what we're, we're facing, it'd be prudent not to comment on their activity in the recent trade period. Mm. They kicked things off a couple of weeks ago, trading out linebacker Deion Jones to Cleveland. They've then shipped Calvin Ridley uh, to Jacksonville of all places, which is pretty fun, for a conditional 
2023 fifth or sixth round pick. Now that's dependent oddly on his reinstatement date. So if he's reinstated before a certain time, um, the Falcons will receive a fifth. If it's after a certain date, then it's sixth. It's availability. Can I bet? Can I bet on that? Is there a market that I can bet on? Because I'd love to do That's that. That's <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. See what you did there. Uh, yeah. So obviously his reinstatement following his suspension for gambling uh, on a game <laughs> against Jacksonville. The yeah, last correct. exit from Falcons was, I think, safety Dean Marlowe, who's off to Buffalo. They've traded in Rashad Fenton, KC cornerback. Uh, we'll remember him fondly. So their strengths, run blocking seems to be a key strength to this offensive line. Yep. Uh, they've got a great, when healthy, a great running back uh, group. They're averaging 158.1 yards per game, good for fifth in the league. And opening up that aspect of their offense allows Arthur Smith to get a bit funny. They can use Mariota with their legs with his legs rather. Um, he's had 280 yards on the ground, three rushing touchdowns of his own. Chargers linebackers are typically p- quite poor at recognizing the RPO and getting out to the flat. We see, I remember so vividly, the Joe Burrow touchdown in the Cincy game last year where he ran sort of 18 yards and was almost just free into the end zone. Um, so, look, Mariota plays loose. He's had a few picks, but he's dangerous. Um, eight fumbles on the year is a real carrot for this offense, I think. Um, it's a it's a big aspect that this defense needs to turn around. Al, what yeah. about you, mate? Yeah, what are you I mean, thinking on the, the... A weird one, and as I totally agree. They're their big strengths, and they really like to run behind the right side of their line. Chris Lindstrom, yeah. very oh, good. Been huge. Yeah. Very good. And Caleb yeah. McGarry at right tackle, they're starting to get some returns on those first-round picks. That's their strength, the right side of the line. They run the ball really creatively. Mariota does a lot of the zone read stuff, as you said. They run outside zone. They use this pistol formation a lot, so we're going to have to be disciplined with our eyes at the linebacker core. A weird one that's a strength of theirs is they've actually got the least amount of missed tackles in the NFL on defense. So even though we'll get to it, they've got some real deficiencies on their defense. Mm. Dean Pease is a long-standing defensive coordinator with the Ravens for many, many, many years, and he at least has taught them sound fundamentals. So that's a sneaky strength that you might not have known about, listeners. Yeah. I mean, uh, if if you've got nothing else to say, and you pretty much everything uh, I've... Written down has been said, so should I run into the Falcons' weaknesses? Yep. I'll go from there. Um, oh. Let's do the Alistair PFF ratings. Um, worst pass rush in the league per PFF. 26th ranked coverage in the NFL per PFF. 27th ranked defense in the NFL per PFF. So other than Grady Jarrett on their defensive line, uh, there's not much else. Arnold Ibikiri, uh, Graham and Carter not doing... <laughs> what they have been drafted for. Uh, a couple of other things. I think maybe I'll leave the sort of the cornerbacks and maybe the linebacking core for someone else to talk about. Uh, we did talk about Chris Lindstrom being easily their strongest offensive lineman in the run game, uh, but their whole line is positively shithouse in the pass protection game. Uh, one, of, one of the worst. Funnily enough, I looked at where Mariota uh, has enjoyed throwing the ball and where he has, hasn't enjoyed throwing the, the ball. Special. Um, he's, oh, I love it. I love it. I love looking at that data. He throws on PFF. left. Um, <laughs> Is that direction well, versus Mariota on PFF? 
Yeah. <laughs> Mariota throws all of his picks in the middle of the field. Yeah. Funnily enough, all of his picks this year have come across the middle. So three between the numbers 20 plus yards when he's throwing deep, um, two between the numbers in that 10 to 20 yard range, and then one in that zero to um, zero to 10 yard range. So I'm hoping that Tranquil, Murray, uh, Nas, Derwin James have sticky fingers and we can pick a couple off through the middle. Um, Mariota loves the play action. He throws really well out of the play action, but is a really, really poor grade when he's throwing under pressure. And we did see that against the Panthers. That's definitely what I Come think. Come on, Atauchu. So I think, yeah, Atauchu, I think it's, this is a little bit of game planning, but I think it sounds simple, but I reckon we give him some really exotic looks in blitz um, and rushes to um, cause some turnovers in some dynamic ways. Yeah. What oh. say you, Andy? Anything you want to cover there? So I'm going to jump in. I just can't believe we haven't even brought it up. He's back. Jerry. Jerry Atauchu, back as a charger. Yeah. We didn't even mention that. We've been so down on the trade period, we forgot a guy that we actually brought in. Uh, welcome back, mate. Um, I'm going to leave the secondary for Al because I know you love a bit of cornerback chat. Uh, one funny little tidbit for me, and it's a weakness, is that Atlanta have fumbled the ball 12 times. Now, the really annoying part of that is that they've recovered it back on eight instances. So for us who are able to force the fumbles but not be able to get the ball, it's an irksome stat. I'm sure there's Chargers fans out there like me that read might have read that or hear this now and think, oh, you fucking get the ball. Al, secondary, Falcons, what do you got? I got nothing. No, no, no. They, um, <laughs> the, the concern is we, we might not have the cattle to exploit them at the minute. So the, mm, the, the, yeah. the Falcons' defense, it's not – I mean, the important thing to note is AJ Terrell is out with a hamstring, looks like he's not playing, and Casey Hayward is not playing as well. So they've got guys off the practice squad. They've got Cornell Armstrong starting a cornerback, Darren Hall, the other side, who used to play for the Jets, Isaiah Oliver, and then their safeties are young guys, Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins. This is a very average – Secondary, and in fact, they're not average, they're shit. They're 32nd in pass yardage allowed in the NFL, 25th for passing TDs, and they lead the league in air yards on completions. 1,300 yards. And if you watch last week, it's just, boo, bombs away, DJ Moore, boo, bombs away. Guys are open by 30 yards. So if there's ever a get healthy game hmm. for this air offense, this is it. Let's attack it vigorously. Yeah. Well, we'll on that we'll just move straight into what will give us the best shot, our keys to victory, and that's a big point for me is to exploit this week secondary as early as possible and recommit to the running game. Yeah. Let's use Isaiah Spiller more than once. Um, I just I'm just a little bit concerned as to who we've got to spread it, but you know if they're getting thirty yards open, hopefully. Herbert can do his thing. Jack, what do you think is the best approach for us to to knock this off in Atlanta? Hear me now. Hear this. And if this happens, I'm going to... I don't know what I'm going to do. But if I see this Algier, Aliga, Algeria, whatever the hell name is, another rookie (laughs) freaking quarterback... You're kidding! And he... (laughs) And he breaks another 50-yard run against us on the outside again. I am going to lose almost all my faith in this defense. Please, God, 
not another outside the numbers run yeah. for 50, 70 yard touchdown by a rookie quarterback, uh, by a rookie running back. Please, God, please, please, no, no, no. Sorry. No, that's all right, man. I think the recipe on defense is fairly apparent, right? I think Tranquil has to play the spy and be mindful of Mariota taking off with his legs. You put Derwin on Kyle Pitts, you put Michael Davis on Drake London, and then you just let it rip. Don't buy eye candy, window dressing, all that stuff. Just play sound, team, defense. And then on offense, there'll like has to be. There's a good chance to exploit their linebackers in the passing game. They're bad all over the place. So Austin Eckler in the middle, wide receivers out wide. Tell you what, boys, I'm going to go straight into the result prediction. If we don't win this game, this season is over. But thankfully, we're going to win the game. Chargers 24, Falcons 17. Andy. Uh, I've gone Chargers 27, Falcons 14. Uh, This is where my maths fails me. So I'm going to say... Five touchdowns, so 35 or say 38 to 14. Okay. Oh, smoke. Huge game. We would all oh, I just... absolutely love that. And no, we're not taking the piss. Uh, it's it's hard to get through weeks where you lose and then you don't have football. We've got to be positive. Got to stay positive. Trust the process. All right. Well, now we've got that to look forward to. I think it's a little bit of time for some hashtag TDU mailbag. Say Sarat, Sarat, whatever will be. Ladies and gentlemen, hashtag TDU mailbag. We're going to hear that song every time we do the mailbag. I'm sorry, Kev. I know, I know it burns and poisons you, but, you know, it's there. Um, thanks again for everyone who submitted a question. We had a few very good ones this week. And just in light of the time, because we've got some good ones to get to, I'm going to take two more as comments, but still acknowledge the fact that we got some contributions. So Tom Telesco's burner account on Twitter, he basically asked us, what are our thoughts on the running game? And we went through that quite a bit. But he says, I really want to see Isaiah Spiller get eight to 10 touches in a game. Love you, yeah. mates. Hashtag bold up. Thank you, Tom Telesco. We love you too. Well, actually, no, we hate Tom Telesco. We love your, we love the burner account and we love your positivity. Thanks for submitting the comment and question. Um, another good one yeah. we got from, from Give Him Hell 54 from Bolts from the Blue. He asked, what are your thoughts on Telesco getting axed this offseason and letting the Little John era begin? Seems inevitable anyway. Part of me just wants them to get on with it so it can fail and it all blows up in their face. Then what does Dino do? Let the nepotism ride or realise maybe they need someone besides a yes man pulling the strings? Depressing question. But I think we'll take that more as a comment because we went into that during our earlier segment, what we're going to do. God, that'd be fun though. I'd like to see him lose the team financially to D, his sister, and have to sell it before I see... Or I have to, we have to sit through two to three years of total shithousery watching all of that unfold. Play on. Play on. Ash Hollick, our favorite listener from Adelaide, says on Twitter, he asks, what are your thoughts on the all-in series not really seeming to convert to off-field movements? So this is right on that trade deadline. Maybe we can start with you, Jack. What are your thoughts on the all-in series not really seeming to be reflected in our off-field movements? Uh, so I don't. So I just don't understand that question. So 
it's not covered in the All In series. No, no. Right? I mean, we're called All In, but we haven't really gone for it All In, have we? Because we oh, didn't make a okay. move before the sorry. trade deadline. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I get that now. Um, yeah, good point. I guess I still think All In is great viewing, and I I don't want to take anything away from the Chargers media team. It'll make it very hard if we suddenly shit the bed and all of a sudden we're going All In five and twelve. Okay. We're not losing every game from, well, we might win one more game. That's going to make it difficult. Yeah. Maybe they need to go back to the drawing board and maybe come up with a less, uh, direct name for the. To be, yeah, to, to be fair, I've seen a lot of real, that's low hanging fruit. That's been low hanging fruit this last couple of weeks is, um, or especially, sorry, the last couple of days, uh, with people on Twitter saying, can the Chargers even say this anymore? Like, can we stop brandish, branding? ourselves with this because we're not all in i think the reality is we bought into the idea of all in at the start of the year or before the start of the year when we brought in all the free agents and had a pretty good draft and now they're just going no we've already done all in we're just still there we just kind of hit a roadblock or two so like stick with us we're like we're getting there but yeah our good buddy Kyle D. Dominicantanio very nicely decided to take a break during his honeymoon in Maui. So congratulations to you and Zayna, Kyle. I hope you're having a good time there, but he got a question in. He said, Keenan Allen's absence has clearly hurt the charges, but he's past 30 and his cap hit only continues to grow. Two questions and we'll start with Jack. Jack, do you believe this season has increased his value in Tom and Brandon's eyes because of how off the offense looks without him? Or do you believe they'll feel pressure to replace him for a younger and healthier wide receiver because he hasn't been available? If we keep Lombardi as play caller, then I think we see Keenan Allen staying in the building. Mm. If Lombardi and and he goes and we bring in another offensive coordinator with a different scheme, I think Keenan Allen might leave. That's a great answer. In the Lombardi scheme, uh, Keenan Allen is clearly integral. Mike Williams is not the X receiver. Or for Mike Williams to be a productive X receiver, you need Keenan Allen. So uh, those are my thoughts. Great answer. And then the second part of the question for you, Andy. Separately, how do you feel? What would you do regarding the wide receiver room in 2023? And the relevant context is Keenan has two years left on his deal after this one. He'd be due at about 22 mil next year and about 26 the year after that. If you wanted to get rid of him at the end of uh, this year, you, by cutting him, there'll be 4 million in dead cap, but you'd save 17 and a half. So what do you do with a wide receiver room at the end of the year? Well, surely you'd look at an avenue to trade him rather than have to cut him and get someone else to pay his contract or uh, an amount of. I think that it's a pretty clear signal that with the contract extension for Mike Williams, it is unfeasible in this league to pay two wide receivers $20 million when you're paying quarterbacks as much as they're getting paid these days and we're quickly running out of time. Um, the fifth-year option is not going to be a viable solution for Justin Herbert. Uh, he's going to be extended. And, yeah, sure, they'll they'll <clears throat> uh, back-end his kind of deal. We'll save a bit of money, pay him the same for the next couple of years on his extension, and then we'll start seeing trouble. But I, I'm not sure 
I think Jackie made a really good point about his piece in Lombardi's offense, but I just don't see from a financial point that it's feasible to to keep him unless we can restructure him. And okay. I think he's on the wrong side of 30, and these injuries are troublesome. To say the least. All right, we've got two questions left, uh, and this one's a ripper. It's from Tau837 from Bolts from the Blue. Tau says, One thing I think is interesting and would be interested in more opinions on. Daniel Popper, on his most recent hops with Pop, characterized something I've felt ever since last season. He said, You can have the best defensive scheme ever on the whiteboard, but if you can't teach or communicate it to your players such that they can execute it, it doesn't matter. That's basically how I feel about Staley's defense right now. The excuse last year is he didn't have his guys. Now we've got his guys. Uh, and it means the holdover defensive players have had a year in this game now. Now, he's not advocating that we should fire Staley, but he does think that this issue is the biggest potentially legitimate reason why he could be fired at the end of this year. So... Tao wants to hear what he says is some intelligent and thought-provoking discussion about this. I can't promise you that, Tao, but we'll start with maybe uh, Jack on this one. Uh, what do you think about, you know, Staley and whether or not what he's teaching is transforming onto the field? Well, if we go back to our the start of the show when we looked at the, uh, I gave you, gave you those criteria and you judged him, um, by all of that, we would, we would assume that Brandon Staley is a good teacher. We've gotten the right cattle in the building. Um, they've only played eight games with one another. Look at that how you will. You could say eight games is enough. Seven. For the, for, or seven, I should say. We're about to play eight. Um, to, to, that's enough time for things to start clicking. You could say that that's nowhere near enough. If we go back to the timelines, which I shared about the coaching and that three year window, I think we've got to think about having that three year window as the true test of how good a teacher Brandon Staley is. You're also dealing with holdovers from, uh, from a lot of draft picks that are still playing on the field, like Kenneth Murray is a starting linebacker, probably wouldn't have been drafted in this system. There are depth at DT. You said Alistair, um, Jerry Tillery's there. I believe that Brandon Staley is a good teacher. I believe that this system does work but he's just trying to figure out what to do without Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. So how do you generate that production across your positional groups? That takes some time. That's all I'll say. What do you think, Andy? <clears throat> I think it's a really a really valid point by Tao because Staley comes in as head coach as a defensive oh, mastermind might be an overshot considering his longevity as a coach and as a coordinator but he comes in as this kind of wizard and what were we what did you say at the top 27th ranked defense or something like that overall it's not a good look yeah. is it it's really not a good look um yeah, it's funny we we did that quiz and you'd say yeah he is a good good teacher so is it his method of communication or is it, pardon me, is it the fact that all the players are nincompoops and uh, can't understand what he's trying to get across? Is it too convoluted? Is it too much too soon? Um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what the answer or the solution is to to it, but it is a, yeah, it's a very apparent problem. That's okay. They I, pay him I, a big I bucks. will say, yeah. 
I, I will say this, like anything in teaching, and this is coming from my experience myself, it might, you might feel like you're in the weeds three months into a class. You might feel like you're in the weeds six months in. Um, when you're a parent, you've been constantly trying to teach your child to do something, to do something, and you just beat, you feel like you're beating your head against a brick wall. And it does look like that. And you're, every day you're in, you're, you're fighting this battle to try and turn around, or you're trying to teach this group of people or individual something. But then there's the moment that it all clicks and it all starts to work because you've built the relationship, because you've built the culture, because you've built that. That is something that I still believe we haven't seen just yet. We haven't seen that and I'm hopefully waiting for it with bated breath. And I believe, I feel like Brandon Stanley's waiting for that too. It's that moment, that click. And I, I think it's coming. That's all I can say is that we're in the doldrums at the moment and Brandon probably thinks he's in the doldrums, but we'll get there. I'm going to tell you why it needs to be coming. I did a bit of homework for your Tao. I think history is instructive. And I had a look at some of the current head coaches who came in as defensive coordinators to have a look. The ones who failed, the ones who got fired, what did their defenses look like? And the ones who succeeded, what was the timeline? So I'll give you a few. Dennis Allen. When he first went to the Raiders in 2012, he joined the Raiders and their defense was graded 23rd the year before he arrived. When he arrived in 2012, they were graded 14th. And then in 2013, they were 30th. 2014 to 27th, fired. Todd Bowles is another one. When he was with the Jets, he arrives, he takes the defense from 7th to 10th. Then in 2016, they're 28th. In 2017, they're 32nd. You're gone. I'll give you a few that have worked well. Mike Tomlin. The year before he arrived in Pittsburgh, under Dick, Bolo Dick LeBeau, they were 11th ranked defense. He arrives, they're 18th. The next year in 2008, they're first and they win the Super Bowl. Robert Sulla. The year before he arrived in New York, they were 24th under Greg Williams. He arrives last year. They finished 31st. Right now, they're first in the league. So they're like some failing ones and there is the successful one. The one who I think Staley needs to try and match is Sean McDermott. You were saying it's interesting, Jack, as you went with win-loss. When McDermott took over the defense in Buffalo, they were graded 23rd. He took them to 16th in 2017. He took them to 13th in 2018. He took them to 9th in 2019. They've been up and up and up. Where Staley sits, he took over a 14th ranked Gus Bradley defense. Last year, they were 24th. Right now, they're 25th. There's not one example of a coach I've listed there who succeeded, who had two years in a row in the 20s when they've come in as a defensive savant or Mozart, mm. I prefer to say defensive Mozart. So... What we need to say, I think we need to see that grade climb from 25th to something like 15th Correct. by the end of the year. If yep. we're sitting here in the late 20s at the end of the year, history would say it's all over for this guy. So just to round out the question. All right, our final questions, of course, they come from probably our favorite lister, Kev Diego from Bolts from the Blue. Uh, I'll start with a fun one. Jack, if your dad owned the Chargers and you were the vice president of football operations, who would you have hired as head coach in 2021? <laughs> if you can turn your mind back, could I think... I, yeah. Could I be revisionist and go, Mr. Brian Diebold? You can do whatever you want. That's who I'd take. Your daddy's the boss. Or I'd be... 
Or, or I'd be going um, Robert Salah. I, I, I didn't mind a bit of Salah, Salah, Salah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Brian Dayball for me. Okay, nice. And we had him in the building too, remember? We, we had him in the building. We had him in the building. We were excited. All right, Andy, for you, uh, 10 games left. Chargers uh, are four and three. Where do we finish the season? Do we make playoffs? Ooh. Right now, we'd be seventh place with a wild card. We're four and three, I... 10 games left. And do we make the playoffs? I had a real sad moment uh, the other day and I was thinking about our games left and thinking about the opponents that we've got coming up, the likes of the Dolphins, uh, the 49ers, obviously the Chiefs again, the Broncos, the, Raider, uh, the Raiders. Uh, we got the Titans as well. Uh, it's It's pretty grim. And I thought of the next 10 games in this moment... I thought we could go three and seven here. We could go three and seven. We couldn't because I don't see it. I don't actually see the situation getting any better. We're not magically going to get stars back in key positions. The reality is, it can only get worse. You can only lose more players. So I'm not going to say that we're finishing eight and ten or seven and ten. Uh, but it's not. 12 and 5 or 13 and 4, like I thought it was at the start of the year. Um, 4 and 3 now. Let's go. Uh, I'm going to say 9 and 8. Okay, so we go 5 and 5. Nice one. Um, And Kev Diego's final question. I'll start, but feel free to jump in. If if we say we end the year in that situation, Andy, let's say we end nine and eight. And oh, and on that, I think we're missing the playoffs with a nine and eight record. So okay. just around that answer. No, that's good. That's how we finish the year. Okay. What changes can the Chargers make at the end of this season to improve next year's fortunes? I'm going to get us started. I like Jeez. the idea of if it doesn't work, moving on Lombardi. Letting Shane Day become the offensive coordinator and bringing in soon to be fired senior consultant Frank Reich. Come back to the Chargers where he used to be offensive coordinator. This is if he doesn't want to be an offensive coordinator somewhere else because I'm sure he would be. Soon if, to be fired. I think that's what's going to happen, man. Indeed. And I, Staley yeah. has lacked that mentor with head coaching experience like McVeigh had in Wade Phillips, right? Someone to yep. bounce ideas off, and we all respect Frank Reich a heck of a lot in on this podcast. He'd be a fantastic sure. mentor to sit there as an offensive consultant, teaching Brandon. I'd love to welcome him back to the organization. That's one thing I'd do. Give, give me, give me Fangio. Yeah, that's where my give that's me exactly Fangio. where my mind goes as well. Get get him calling the defense and get Brandon Staley being the mastermind. Fourth and one, fourth and two. Yeah. Guy. Give me fun. Guess what? He's working again, you know. He's working He's a, in Philadelphia. He, as an assistant. He's over dog. there, you bastard. That's yeah. all from the hashtag TDU mailbag. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question. Great. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you, team. Well, look, it's been a bit of a slog emotionally to uh, – go through the last week with what's happened and what hasn't happened and just sort of let the let all the information settle and digest it. We've got another game coming up this week. We've got the Falcons. We've got to win this game. 
We've all picked it. Bolts are winning this one. Until next time, guys, thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. Bye. Firing, he's got Floyd turning, got it, six and a half, ten, five, high step, touchdown, San Diego! Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Good night, good night to all!